Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on the show. And this next one, well, it's about something so many of us do every day. Americans drink about 400 million cups of coffee. The drink itself represents 75% of our yearly caffeine consumption. So, needless to say, this drink is important to us. It's also important to the U.S. military. And today, Richard Muniz, our regular contributor and listener, shares an entertaining story on the subject. Take it away, Richard. Richard. 
There's an old expression that goes that an army travels on its belly. Well, if that's true, then coffee is the lubrication that runs that army. And if you've been in the military before, you know this is very important. Coffee it just makes it so much easier. I know when we deployed to the Gulf, for instance, we took cooking utensils. The only time we actually used those cooking utensils was once when we made some french fries out of some potatoes we found. But the one thing that got used constantly was the coffee pot. Now, we didn't take coffee with us, but the first time anybody went to one of the local Arab towns like that, guess what they bought? Coffee. And we'd make coffee every morning we got up. Some people didn't want to sit there and wait for it, so what they just did was they heat up their water in their little canteen cups, put the instant coffee from the MRE packets in there, mix in a little bit of uh, hot chocolate, a little bit of creamy sugar. Hey, no good coffee. Coffee has been a part of every armed forces that I know of. If you're a fan of the uh, movie Master and Commander, there's a scene in there where Aubrey's uh, cabin boy comes up and says, there's no more coffee, and Aubrey says, fine, we'll drink tea. Well, that just shows you how important it has been. Now, even during the Civil War, it was very important. Soldiers would ride home and they'd tell about the battlefield experiences and stuff like that, but the word coffee was used more than anything else. One soldier wrote home and he was complaining about lack of uh, food, lack of morale, lack of this, lack of that. But he specifically spelled out coffee. In fact, he said, how can you possibly soldier without coffee? The Confederacy didn't have a lot of coffee to have. What they used to do was they would go out and they would trade with Union soldiers. When there was no fighting going on, so I got they would meet in a, I guess a neutral zone, if you want to call it that, and they would trade. They would trade tobacco, which they had plenty of, for coffee. The average Union soldier got well over 30 pounds of coffee a year as his personal ration. So they had, they, the coffee was something the Union got. All the way through, World War I, coffee. World War II, coffee. In fact, some of the most iconic images that came out of World War II concerned coffee. Here was a GI, this little tin cup there, and he's toasting the folks back home with a hot cup of coffee. Very important. Coffee has played a very important part for all of us. A friend of mine tells me a story. He was in the Navy, not the Army. And now, I need to qualify something here. I don't know how true this story is. I know nothing about ships. I know nothing about uh, the traditions on ships. And he tells me this story. For all I know, maybe he stole it from somebody else. Maybe he hallucinated it. I don't know, but it's such a cool story. I'm going to tell it to you anyway. He went through uh, basic, he went through A school and all that stuff, and he did really, really well. And they said, hey, you did so well, we're going to give you your choice of assignments. Well, here's a Trekkie, like Star Trek, and if you can't have Jim Kirk's Enterprise or Jean-Luc Picard's Enterprise, you settle for the one you got. In this case, the nuclear aircraft carrier Enterprise we have today. He wants the bridge of the Enterprise. Thinking it'll be a fat chance he ever gets it, well, guess what? He got it. Well, apparently there was a tradition on the bridge of the Enterprise. And like I said, I've never tried to check this out. So, you know, if there is, great. If there isn't, forgive me. What happens on the Enterprise is this. The lowest ranking EM on the bridge makes the coffee. Okay, that's pretty cool. Okay, so he gets up there and he decides, I am going to make the best cup of coffee the captain's ever had. And he's got, you know, visions of promotions dancing in his head or whatever the case may be, but he wants to make sure the captain never, ever forgets him. So he goes out and he studies how to make coffee. 
and he goes to libraries, reading every book he can find, every article, stuff like that. He goes to baristas who make coffee for a living and learns their, their secrets and whatnot. By the time he's finished, the only two entities in the entire universe that know more about making coffee than him is God and the guy in the Folgers commercial. So he goes out there and his first day on the bridge, he makes the coffee. The smell of coffee wafting through the bridge. I mean, it's phenomenal coffee. It smells, it smells great. Okay, the other tradition they had on the bridge was no one gets their cup until the captain gets his. Cool tradition. Well, he's sitting there waiting for the captain and all that stuff because, you know, he's just sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah, the captain's going to take it and he's going to look at it and he's going to sit back in that chair and go, oh, yeah, no, this is a cup of coffee. Well, Captain comes up, captain on the bridge, you know, all that stuff. Captain comes up, he's talking to everybody, pours his cup of coffee and sits down in his chair. And he's there talking, he's got his reports in front of him, puts his, puts his uh, cup of coffee there on, on the, his armchair. And he's reading the reports, talking, stuff like that. And then he reaches over, here's the moment of truth, picks up the coffee mug, and takes a sip of it. And he's sitting there expecting the captain to smile, but that's not what happened. The captain spews this coffee all over a master chief that was standing there. Drops the cup of coffee like it was a snake, stands up and scans the bridge. And his sister's eyes locked on him and said, what in the hell is wrong with you? Apparently there's two types of uh, water spigots on a ship. There's fresh water, which is what you drink. And then there's seawater, which you use for other purposes. He didn't know the difference. When it came time for promotion time, guess what? They didn't forget him either. And great job, as always, to Monty Montgomery for producing that piece. And thanks to Richard Muniz for his story, stories about coffee, and coffee in the military particularly. And again, if you have stories to share with us, we love hearing from listeners. And we've got a bunch of great listener contributions. Go to OurAmericanStories.com. Richard Munez's story, Coffee in the Military, here on Our American Story. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we continue with our American stories. Up next, you'll meet Genevieve Church. Genevieve runs a very unique business in San Francisco. That is, City Grazing. City Grazing is a sustainable land management organization powered by goats. Here's Genevieve to tell us about how the business came to be and also the history of goats in San Francisco, beginning with Estelle West, the first goat lady. Goats in San Francisco have a long history and women raising goats in San Francisco 
there is a long history. Estelle West was raising goats and, you know, she was at a time when having livestock for meat, for milk, was relatively common still in the Bay Area. But she was one of the last people who was actually in San Francisco proper raising her animals and making her living from them. San Francisco was busily becoming a city and didn't want livestock within city limits anymore. Estelle West was quite a character, apparently, and uh, loved to flout authority, and she just wanted to keep raising goats the way her family had been. And so she was <laughs> a mild criminal, shall we say, in uh, keeping her goats in places where the city didn't really want goats kept. <laughs> After her, this very sweet woman that I met who was the second goat lady of San Francisco, she had been raising goats on Potrero Hill, which was a little bit less of a settled area in San Francisco. Uh, when she was a kid, her family had about five or six goats, sometimes as many as 15. They didn't have a as large of a herd and they were not dependent on them for their income, but they were a part of their family's income stream. And when the city was laying the first sidewalks in Potrero Hill, her goats got out and ran across the newly laid cement and left goat hoof marks in San Francisco's first sidewalk in Potrero Hill. She got in a lot of trouble. They made her family get rid of their goats. I met her when she was in her 80s. And so I'm really happy to get to carry on the tradition of livestock in San Francisco and goats in San Francisco. And of course, it's also an honor to get to be the third crazy goat lady of San Francisco. <laughs> I'm the executive director of City Grazing. We are the last local herd of working animals in the city. We actually take in retired dairy goats and we give them kind of a second lease on life. All they have to do for us is eat for a living. So they go out, they eat a lot of the brush that's unwanted, a lot of the invasive vegetation that we have, and both reduce fire hazard and improve the health of some of our small local forests in San Francisco. City grazing was started as a little bit of just a fun side project by a man named David Gavrich, who owned a industrial waste management company. And he thought it would be a fun way to advertise their commitment to green methods and to keeping their waste processing very clean by having a herd of goats that actually lived on site next door to the waste processing center. It's pretty common in California to see goats grazing on the side of the freeways. So there are a few different companies in California that do large-scale goat grazing. These are companies that have a thousand animals or up to 4,000 animals and graze in really big areas alongside like Chevron's processing plants, alongside the freeways, alongside some of the wind farms and solar farms in California. These are really common companies that use grazing animals to keep their fire hazard down. And David saw that, thought it would be a lot of fun to do on a small scale in the city. So he started with just a few goats, didn't really think much about how goats multiply, ended up pretty quickly having 40 goats, and uh, at that point was renting them out. He was renting them to backyards, and that was in 2008 that he got started. I came on board in 2012. I answered a very random Craigslist ad. I had just moved back into San Francisco, was looking for a new career, and found a very unusual ad that said, write us a paragraph 
Tell us why you're qualified to take care of our 40 goats in Bayview while our current goat herd goes home on vacation for six weeks. And I thought, no one has 40 goats in Bayview. Bayview was an industrial part of the city. And I was just like, I have to see this. I, I grew up on a cattle ranch. I'd been around animals most of my childhood. And I never really thought I'd work with them again. So I randomly answered this ad and we just kind of hit it off. David and I got along very well. The goats definitely needed more care than they were getting. At that time, he just had one of the employees from the rail yard who was taking care of them. So I just kind of never left. And in 2015, I took over management. In 2017, we converted to a nonprofit. And that's really allowed us to open up who we work with and what we do. It lets us adopt animals rather than purchasing or breeding. It lets us have more work with municipalities, with schools, with universities. It also allows us to be a little bit more proactive in our hiring policies. So we really strive to give work to people who are from our underserved neighborhoods in San Francisco. So it's opened a lot of doors for us. What we do is specialize in strips of undeveloped land and San Francisco has a lot of that. There's a lot of back hillsides or park areas that haven't been landscaped and that's where we come in. And then also just backyards. We do a fair amount of backyards. It's a lot of fun to bring somebody five goats to spend a week in their yard and let their family interact and see what that's like. And most of our goats are really friendly. They love people. They're easy to hang out with and you wouldn't necessarily want to keep them forever, but they're a lot of fun for a week. The community loves the goats, absolutely loves them from being completely startled to see a goat. You know, we get the, why are there goats here? Questions from passers-by. We get kids who've never seen a goat before and do not know what they are and say, mommy, what's wrong with that dog? Or is that a donkey? That was my favorite question that I, I've ever gotten. <laughs> the goats have a lot of fans. And so we always publicize if we're at a location where the public can come and view the grazing and that is just an amazing side benefit of what we do. It's really great to be able to give back to the planet. It's great to be able to contribute to the health of trees because a lot of what the goats eat is uh, the Himalayan blackberry, which is an invasive here, and a few different forms of ivy. So it's a lot of our work is taking care of those two plants to keep the trees in some of our parks like the Presidio, UCSF Mount Sutro. These are a couple of the larger parks in San Francisco that we do a lot of work for. It's really about tree health but it's also about fire hazard reduction. But a huge part, especially in the last few years, people were just looking for anything that they could do outside with their kids, like how do we get out of the house? And you can always come visit the goats, right? So it's just so much fun to give people that kind of outlet. And it's not just people with their kids. We've got dog walkers who bring their dogs. The dogs are fascinated. They've never seen goats before either. These are city dogs, right? They do not know what livestock is. So <laughs> they have a lot of fun. And the goats are so funny. They're very used to the urban environment. Goats are such adaptive animals. You wouldn't put a horse or a cow or a sheep in some of the situations that we very happily put our goats. The goats are just like, oh yeah, okay, is this the new place we're staying for a week? Cool. And they'll interact with the people, they'll interact with dogs. They get bored if they're in one location, as anyone who has goats can tell you. 
goats get very bored and they will start trying to break out. They love to explore a new space. They love new vegetation. And so we find they have much better manners if we are moving them around pretty regularly and giving them new grounds to stomp on. Our mission is sustainable land management. And that's really just about inspiring people to find creative solutions to the problems that we have. What we do is so beneficial, but it's really just goats being goats. It's a very elegant solution to the problem of overgrowth or fire hazard or invasive plants because we put the goats on them and the goats don't do anything special. They just do what goats do. They compete with each other for food and they have a great time doing it. And you're listening to Genevieve Church, the third crazy goat lady of San Francisco. More of her story here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. And we return to Our American Stories and to Genevieve Church of City Grazing, the goat-powered land management and fire prevention organization in San Francisco. Let's pick up where she last left off. We have so many amazing goats and they come to us from all over. As I said, most of our goats are retired dairy goats. Their milk production drops off and it's hard on their bodies. So it's really fun for us to be able to take those ladies in and retrain them. We take them in and just put them in basically that pasture and then leave them there for a week. And when they first come to us, they'll come to the fence every morning like, isn't someone supposed to do something with me now? Don't I have to go somewhere? And we're like, nope, just go eat with the rest of the goats. But we also, every year we try and adopt in some of the little orphan dairy boys. Dairy goats have to have a baby every year in order to keep giving milk. The females go back into the dairy industry, but those males usually go into the meat industry. And we like to adopt a few of those in every year and raise them to be grazing goats. So those little guys, they're very social. They've been hand-raised by people. They really turn to us for all of their needs. They're so much fun to interact with. They're really naturalized to people and they have big personalities. But some of our other goats are rescue goats that have come from you name it, all different situations. And yes, all of our goats have names from Regina, the complaining dairy goat who never stops yelling at us, to we have Huck and Finn who are a pair of twins. Another pair that we have is Curry and Stu. Their original owner raised them for food, but he bought them as babies and he loved them so much he just fell in love with them and called us and kind of shamefacedly said, I can't eat my goats, can you take them for me? So we took them in. But my favorite two, they've actually both passed on now. Princess and Udo came to us. They didn't seem to know that they were goats. They were these enormous, enormous alpine goats and they had been raised in someone's kitchen in Oakland. They'd been raised on people food. They'd never grazed. They'd been eating breakfast cereal and apparently human food their whole lives. <laughs> the lady who raised them was very eccentric. Her neighbors were complaining to the health department. She reached out to us and we were like, yeah, sure, we'll take them. So we went to get them and we didn't really think it through. We didn't understand that they, you know, other than going into her backyard, they really hadn't been outside. She was keeping them in the house. 
So we had to teach them how to live outside. We had to teach them how to graze. We had to expose them. You know, they were adults. They were both quite large. And in the end, both of them took over the herd. Both of them were, were the alpha males in the herd. And we named Princess Princess because he was so high maintenance. I have to say like that name wasn't really supposed to stick because he was the biggest white male goat with giant horns that you've ever seen. And it was just kind of an ironic name because he didn't know how to eat or take care of himself. He was such a princess. We had to wait on him hand and foot before he learned how to be a goat. By the end, he was the king and he just ruled the entire herd. So those two probably are my favorite rescue story, but we have others. We have goats that came to us from 4-H. So their 4-H kids that had raised them didn't want them to end up being harvested. So they donated them to us rather than sell them at the fair. One of them though, he, uh, he had a little accident and uh, this was before he came to us, he lost the tip of his ear and they decided he couldn't be shown as breeding stock, which was the intention when he was raised. His name is Dipper. Dipper looks like a small rhinoceros without horns. He's the most muscular goat I've ever seen. He has giant thick legs and huge feet and a giant head. He looks like he could knock all the other goats down, but he's the ultimate in gentle giant. He doesn't know he's strong. He doesn't know that he's just the burliest goat ever. And he stands off the side and lets all the other goats eat first and we have to keep him in with the old ladies because he does not understand his own strength so they come to us with such cute personalities and individual natures uh, goats love salt they have a very high need for salt in their diet and so when you see a goat licking the inside of a tin can which yes that stereotype is an accurate one goats will pick up tin cans that have had food in them and they will carry them around they actually can't eat them. They are trying to lick out whatever was inside that can. If there's any residue of salt, a chip bag, you know, what's the most common piece of litter that you see anywhere? It's a Doritos bag. They will take them in their mouth. They will chew on them and chew on them and chew on them the way we chew gum. And then they'll spit them out because they're just trying to suck all that salt off of the inside. So that's kind of where goats get that reputation from. <laughs> So it's like, why do they do, why do they chew on plastic? We finally, I think it was a vet who was like, oh, it's the salt. They love roses and they love blackberries. Blackberries, that's great because it's a massive problem in California. We have Himalayan blackberry growing all over the West Coast and it's a terrible invasive plant. The roses, not so much. Nobody really wants the goats to come in and eat their prize rose collection. So we do have to, you know, we're really intense about our fencing to make sure that that doesn't happen. Homeowners associations in the Bay Area tend to, I don't know why, but they almost all have one giant inaccessible hillside that periodically needs to have something done about the fire danger and we love doing it. City grazing gets about 60% of our income from our grazing work, but the other 40% of our income comes from donations and we really rely heavily on that. We have a really amazing team of employees. We are out there setting fencing, clearing paths. San Francisco is big in terms of population and small in terms of acreage. It's a tiny little city that is jam-packed. So we have to build really nice fences every time we take the goats anywhere to make sure that they stay enclosed, stay safe, and make sure everyone in the situation is contained. We also have a 
box truck that we converted to a mobile barn, but it's essentially just like any U-Haul that you'd use to move. We pull out the ramp, the goats run in the ramp or run out the ramp, um, but it's really kind of hilarious to check out the goats getting in and out of the truck. It's, it's not what you'd expect, um, but it's definitely been one of our best innovations. Talk about funny stories. We have staged goat yoga. <laughs> if you missed your chance at the goat yoga trend when that was a thing, don't worry about it because what you really missed out on was probably getting peed on by a baby goat. That's what we don't tell you when we sell you the ticket, but it was a fundraiser that we did for a while. Some of the other crazy stuff that we've done we have pranked a groom at a wedding. His in-laws hired us to bring goats to the wedding reception and to bring them out behind the groom while the father of the bride was making his toast. And we didn't know this, they didn't tell us. I don't think they loved their son-in-law very much. He was terrified of goats. So. It was just a scene. It was hilarious for everyone there except for the groom. So we've taken goats to nightclub openings, not inside, outside, so they, or their ears wouldn't get any damage. We've done a really great promotion years and years in a row. We did about five of these called Goat My Valentine, where we would bring goats and stage a photo shoot so that you could come up with your sweetheart and take a photo with the goats and get cuddly with our, our baby goats on Valentine's Day. That was a really fun one that we did. So people love goats, it's true. And they're a lot of fun. We love them. We're all of us at City Grazing. We smell terrible at the end of the day, but we love our job. <laughs> And a great job on the storytelling and production by Madison. And a special thanks to Genevieve Church, Executive Director of City Grazing. My goodness, I love some of the names. Huck and Finn, Regina the Complaining Dairy Goat, and Princess and Yudo, enormous alpine goats who'd never grazed in their lives. They were raised on human food in a house. The story of City Grazing, which started as a fun side project, but now takes care of fire prevention and so much more in the city of San Francisco, here on Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. This is Our American Stories. And our next story, well, we love this kind of story. It comes to us from the Toy and Action Figure Museum in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. That's right, the Toy and Action Figure Museum. Its founder, Kevin Stark, says it's the first museum to be entirely dedicated to action figures. Take it away, Kevin. My name is Kevin Stark. I am the curator and executive director of the Toy and Action Figure Museum and also the founder of the museum. I got started, gosh, I started collecting toys a long time ago, back in 1986. The girlfriend I had at the time drugged me to an antique flea market, and I didn't really want to go spend the afternoon looking at antiques, but they had all these cool toys, and they were cheap, and so I came out with an armload of toys, and and I said, wow, that was, that was fun. When are we going back? She said, well, it happens every month. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so I started collecting toys and, and I amassed this huge collection. But even as a kid, I had convinced my parents to let me clean out our basement so that that could be my private play area. And I shared a room with two brothers. So when my brothers found out that my parents thought that was a great idea, you know, they were a little upset with me over it, but my dad said, hey, he came up with the idea and he cleaned it up, so, you know, get lost. <laughs> 
And I had gotten a job when I was like 10 years old in order for me to be able to go and buy my own toys. So I've actually been collecting, you know, really since I was 10. <laughs> but I've just always been attracted to toys, always enjoyed them and liked them. And then when I'm, you know, when it became my business to actually design them, all the better. In 1990, I got a call to design toys. It was actually a guy I went to school with. And he calls and says, how would you like to design toys for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? And I was like, you wouldn't believe what I'm sitting around right now. So I'd already been collecting for four or five years. He didn't know I was a collector, you know. I didn't know he was a designer. And so we just got together and... He said, can you be in L.A. on Monday morning at 9 a.m. for a flight to L.A.? And I was like, you bet I can. <laughs> he had been working for small toy companies, and every time their toy companies got bought out, he lost his job. So he decided to start his own company that would do design work, but mostly write copy for the action figures and toys and create the accessories that go in them. And that's a lot of what we did. We would create uh, sewer maps for the turtles, a lot of the extra things, you know, that went in with the toys. We worked for a lot of different toy companies that don't have an in-house design team. Big, huge companies like Mattel and Hasbro and Kenner. And so a company would come to us and say, we need this designed or we need like in the case of Toonsylvania that we did for Spielberg and, and Toy Island, was like, we need you to design this line based on a cartoon series. And so that's what we did. We would look at the characters and come up with different ways that uh, they could make toys. Everything from plush toys to wind-ups to action figures to play sets. And of course, we would come up with it. You then had to send the drawings over to the company. They would say yay or nay, or they'd make changes here and there. A lot of times we didn't have a lot of time to do it. The deadlines a lot of times were really quick and really short. One toy line in particular, The Mummy, we did for the Universal Studios movie. We had, I think, two weeks to design and get some sculpts done before the New York Toy Fair. They kind of went for a long time, no, we're not gonna do toys, not gonna do toys. And then two or three weeks before, they said, oh, we're gonna do toys. Can you guys knock this out? And so we were working 24 hours a day, taking like little cat naps on my couch in my office and, you know, getting up and doing more drawing. So sometimes it's very fast work and other times you have lots of time. So, you know, it just varied with the project. I point out to people that come here, there are a lot of doll museums and there are a lot of toy museums, but we are really basically an action figure museum. Our focus is the design and sculpting and art of action figures. So even though we have toys too, most of them relate somehow to action figures, you know, in the way of play sets or vehicles or things like that. So that's what makes us different. And we have over 13,000 action figures in the collection. Most of the collection, 90% of what you see in the museum is from my private collection. 
but we do get some things donated. You know, a funny thing is people say, oh, you must do eBay a lot. I never do eBay. I mean, very rarely have I ever picked anything up on eBay. I personally prefer to go out and see the things I'm purchasing. I like to hold it in my hand and say, is this what I want? And purchase it like that. that that's just what I prefer, because to, to me, I like the hunt. So really, I go on what I call toy safari. We got a call from a lady in Arkansas one time, and I didn't talk to her, but one of our board members did. And so he calls me up and he says, you want to go on a road trip? And I was like, what are we talking about? Well, this lady said she had this toy collection she just wanted to donate to the museum. And I said, well, what are we talking about? He said, well, he didn't really know. He said he tried to get her to send pictures and she didn't really know how to do that on her phone. So she only sent like three or four pictures that were of these little tiny figures on shelves, you know. So we just hop in my Toyota 4Runner and drive all the way to Arkansas. Well, she had so much stuff that we piled it all in my car, drove back to Pauls Valley, Oklahoma, rented a huge U-Haul truck and went back, still filled that up and my car again because we had no idea what we were getting into. It was her husband's collection, and he had passed away and wanted the stuff donated to the museum. And we were like, are you sure you want to do this? Because, you know, we told her she could sell this stuff on eBay or whatever. And she said, no. She said, I'm actually a very minimalist person. I just want all this stuff out of here. <laughs> and, and it was funny because the whole house was packed with toys. And she here was telling me she liked to live very, you know, spartanly. <laughs> My wife and I went to a garage sale one time here in Paul's Valley, and uh, the family, it was just, you know, the, the couple, they had a daughter. And we were mostly going to the garage sale for my wife. You know, she was checking stuff out. Well, they had all these cool boy toys. I'm talking about great stuff that was worth a lot of money. And I was just putting everything in my arms trying to, you know, pick it all up. And my wife was clear across the way visiting with somebody. And I was like, come here, come here. You know, I said, we need to get this stuff. Well, it turned out the, that the father always wanted a, a little boy, and he got a little girl. So it, he was just buying her boy toys, too, you know, and uh, I think because he liked them. So I just picked up a lot of really great stuff for next to nothing for garage sale prices and uh, was very happy to, to get them, and they're all in the museum right now. Some of my favorite exhibits in the museum deal with my favorite character, which is Batman. <laughs> in fact, we have a whole bat cave devoted to just Batman. So there are a lot of figures there. And we created a World War II display, which we had both the European campaign and the Pacific campaign all done in 12-inch tall action figures. But we built buildings and everything in order to create a diorama of these action figures and recreated the World War II scenes. Well, the older generation of people who would come in here, they loved that because they could relate to that. And a lot of uh, old World War II veterans. And in fact, we had one guy come in who these figures we used are not G.I. Joe's specifically. Some of them are from other companies that are very much accurate. 
figures from World War II. Anyway, this one figure has a shoulder patch on it, which was a paratrooper outfit, paratrooper unit. Well, that, that guy, that was his unit, okay? <laughs> he couldn't believe that we had an action figure of his unit in World War II. He was just blown away, and we had a great time talking about it. Most everyone finds something that they can relate to and uh, that, that they're amazed at, you know. Uh, we have people who come in and think, you know, why do I want to be in here? I'm, I'm only here because my husband's here or whatever. And, and then they see stuff they had as a kid. And really, we're less about toys and more about nostalgia, more about your childhood. People come in here, they almost always leave happy. You know, <laughs> so that's always a great thing. And you've been listening to Kevin Stark, and he is the founder of the Toy and Action Figure Museum in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. His story, the story of a museum of a man's making here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth no matter who you are. Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp. Com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 